Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, many moons ago, he was cast in a play at the Williamstown Theater Festival opposite an actress named Katie Finneran. They met, they fell in love, they since have two children, but they have created so much incredible art together and apart and have made their marks on an industry as two people who are beloved, talented, uniquely gifted, And they're both my friends. And now I get to have Darren Goldstein today on the podcast. Welcome, Darren. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Darren Goldstein. Darren's Broadway credits include The Little Foxes, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, Off-Broadway, he has been seen in The Bedwetter, Continuity, The Madrid, Rashida Speaking, The Good Mother, Abigail's Party, Mouth to Mouth, Terrorism, Ura, and Mary Rose. Some of his film credits include Sharper, Paterno, Detroit, The Girl on the Train, and Limitless. Some of his many TV credits include Ozark, American Crime Story, Impeachment, The Affair, Under the Banner of Heaven, Inside Amy Schumer, Nurse Jackie, Blind Spot, Damages, and American Odyssey. He is married to actress and friend Katie Finneran. Well, I guess both of our friends, Katie Finneran. I am so thrilled to welcome the extraordinary actor, Darren Goldstein, to the podcast. Welcome, my friend. Hello, hello. This is great to be here. I have... um, I've looked forward to this for so long and you are so busy. I am so happy we carved out this space today. The last thing I saw you in that wasn't on my TV screen was The Bedwetter, the Sarah Silverman musical at the Atlantic. Um, And I think about that performance so often and congrats on that. Thank you. 
that was so much fun. Yeah. Did you know Sarah Silverman before doing that musicale? No, never. I was on a um, vacation with Katie and the kids. We were on a cruise. It was right before COVID. It was December, late December, 2020, uh, 2019. And I get this audition. I had about, you get about 10 minutes a day to check your email on a cruise because it's so expensive. And I remember checking my email and going, oh, they just sent me this appointment for this musical they're doing at Sarah Silverman, but ugh, I don't wanna have to prepare a song ugh, because I'm not, I don't do musicals and I don't have a book or anything like that. And she listened to the song that I'm sure you know I auditioned with. And uh, she said, you're, uh, you're auditioning. This is non-negotiable. I was like, fine. <laughs> well, it's very comforting when someone who really does sing um, and even, you know, and knows you so well can kind of, meeting Katie Finneran, yeah. um, is like, no, I know you and you can do this. But as as non, as people who don't define themselves as singers, it's so scary. It's like so crazy scary to kind of think about what it means to put a song up. It's the, the oh, here, here, here's a funny story, actually. Yeah. I, um, I was working on it. And what was the song for people around the globe who don't know what the song was? So there's a song with? and we can curse here, right? Yeah. There's a song that ends kind of act one, which is called I Fucked Your Mom, which is a, uh, a song about how Sarah's father kind of got around, got around Manchester, New Hampshire, and truly... Uh, had a lot of relations with, uh, with the women of Manchester. And so he sings this. And uh, I learned the song and I went over to uh, someone that I knew to, uh, to put the accompaniment down and I sang it. And I remember sitting at my desk just, and I said, tell me, you know, I'm gonna sing it to you, see, see if I'm in the ballpark of like notes wise. And I finished and she said, did you have him like plunk out the notes? And I said, no, I mean, he just gave me the accompaniment. I know the notes. And she said, you don't know the notes. You're not even close, <laughs> but loving like not, you know, and was just like, go to Matt right now. Yes. And have him plunk out the notes, mm -hmm. and learn all the notes. And then once you learn every single note perfectly, then you can kind of forget it and you'll have it, but you don't have it right now. <laughs> She gave so me tough like, love, which like, she does. The notes are a thing. You're saying the actual notes are, are a thing. The actual notes? You mean I need to know them? No. Because you felt like you were sort of note I adjacent. I had it. <laughs> I had enough. it like you have it in the car or in the shower. Come on, they know I can get it. But this also, is like someone who doesn't audition for musicals that of often. Course. And I was like, and she just gave me a kind of come to Jesus moment thinking like, no, 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 no. You only see it like that and it looks all casual because they've learned, people have learned the notes perfectly. And it was a little embarrassing because after be doing this for 25 years, I should know that, but I didn't. So Haven't you done another musical? I did. I did Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Sure. Um, Read did, that in your bio. Yes, I did do that. But for some reason, it was maybe it was 10 years ago. I just I don't know, is it lazy or complacent? Or is, you know, that thing you do sometimes when you kind of, it's like a little bit of self-sabotage, you know? You're not gonna like give it 100% because it, 
then when you don't get it, which most of the time you don't, then it won't hurt as much. But it's yeah. Really yeah. Well, you went back and you learned it and uh, and you really nailed it. And, and I'm not going to go on too long about it because A, no one can go see the play right now. And so we'll just torture them by talking for a long time about a piece of theater that they don't get to see. Um, and hopefully it will move and then they will. And then you'll Maybe come back. Yep, yeah. And we'll talk about it again. Um, but there really was something uh, unbelievably um symbiotic between you and this character, which makes me want to know a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up and who was in the house and and kind of when did you start to love singing and acting, even if singing doesn't feel like the thing that you lead with in life? Yeah, I was born in uh, Long Island. Uh, I was born to two teachers, middle class upbringing, very supportive, very loving. Um, you know, I'm Mark, uh, my father passed away when I was 13, which was, is kind of the seminal moment of my life that has a million uh, tentacles that go into every part of my life. Mm. And uh, my mom uh, was wonderful. She picked up the pieces. She raised my brother and me very well and uh, our life didn't change too much other than a big absence that was there. And uh, went to SUNY Albany, which was like, I didn't have a lot of interests, but that was just where you went. It was like, we weren't, I wasn't gonna go to a private school. My my mom, you know, we, uh, my two teachers. So it wasn't like- we What were, what subject did your mom teach? What my mom was an elementary school. Yeah, my mom was an elementary school teacher. And my father was a, a history teacher. Okay. You know, social studies back then. Were you and a good student? I was fine. Yeah. I mean, I would say like as a B plus student, mm -hmm. you know, could like school, didn't love school. Were you sporty? It. Could play everything decent, could play nothing well. <laughs> like could get around with anything. I could go play golf with friends. I could go play tennis. I could play basketball. I would play in a soccer league. I did that, but I was never the kid that excelled in any of those. Okay. And I'm just going to ask one more question yeah. and then I will let you get to Albany, but not yet. Please, please. What is the age difference between you and your brother? Two and a half years. Older, younger? He's younger. Okay. Yeah. And your last name is Goldstein. So I know that I think people before knowing you or without knowing you just on the page would assume that you have some affiliation with the Jewish faith or culture. Some affiliation. You know, the side note, my last name really it was changed when my great-grandfather came from Ellis Island. My real last name is Ozdoba, O-Z-D-O-B-A. And it was one of those just changed as so many are. What, was where was your grandfather from? Poland. Ozdoba. Yeah. So and, East, that's where the red hair, the red hair comes from that Eastern European. Right. Yeah. And, and was there any agent who was like, listen, would you like to go, <laughs> go back? Not at was all. Doba. Not at all. I never even told, I, I, it was never, that was not, never came up except for my family who was like, are you going to change it? It's pretty Jewish. And like, yeah. I didn't fucking think about that. I didn't, right. I didn't think about it. And uh, that was never under consideration. No. So did you grow up with any um, religion? Yeah, I was bar mitzvahed in 1987. So um, you were, you were bar mitzvahed the year I your was. father passed away. You know, I was, I, I, um, this is interesting. He, uh, I had my bar mitzvah 
three days later, he went in for surgery. He had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. He went in for surgery uh, three days after my bar mitzvah, and then he was gone the following July. An awful, 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 you know, we were like a happy family that just had this bomb placed in the middle of it. It exploded and uh, yeah, he was 41. You know, when you see those things online and you're yeah. like, how the fuck did this happen? Yeah. I, and I sometimes have to go, oh shit, that happened to me. I you kind of forget it's a different life in a way, but yeah, it was very, very, it was terrible. When you, um, when you hit 41, which I assume you have. Oh yeah, I'm 47. Yeah. 47. 48. Um, just turned 48. Yeah. So was that a thing for you? Huge. Like, let me get past this age? Huge anxiety. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't stress this enough. Huge anxiety. There was like in my brain, there was no way I was gonna make it past 41. Like literally, like. I'm not going to do it. And I think it was because of like, since I was 13 years old, that was always like the signpost number. Right. Father. And I kind of do live with a little bit of anxiety. And then just, I saw that. And then the years coming up to it, I mean, forget it, tons of psychosomatic shit that just started right. like getting that. But I moved past it. And there definitely was kind of a release mm-hmm. after that. Like, wow. All right. And like, you feel like you're playing with the house's money now. Yeah. 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 Your story's different. Yeah. Um, okay. So sounds like you were not a theater kid. You were sort of sporty and not in, yeah. um, in any, uh, organized way, extraordinary way. Not in any extraordinary <laughs> way. Loved it. Loved right. sports, but it felt, you know, I would wish I was better. I, yeah. I, I always wished I was better. And then I went to Albany and, uh, joined a fraternity with a bunch of guys who like, like lots of like Irish and Italian guys from Westchester and Staten Island. And they were great. And I really connected with them and it was terrific. And in my junior year, early on in my junior year, I realized that there was some, you know, I can't even remember my thought process, but other than I do remember something was a little, was missing in my life. I didn't know what it was. And I remember seeing a sign for Three Penny Opera that was being done in the in the university, uh, the Performing Arts Center. I knew nothing about theater. I was like, all right, they say prepare a song. I went in and I prepared a song and I didn't know what a monologue was. And I did something from, you know, The Homecoming by Harold Pinter because I so found- So someone it. like, you, you ask someone like, hey- yeah, monologue like, you, book. Like, who is yeah. this? Like Bertolt Brecht wrote it. Give me something like I asked someone who I knew. Someone like give me someone who's kind of dark. And they said Harold Pinter. Do like Lenny from The Homecoming. I was like, all right. Didn't even read the play. Memorized this thing. Went on there. Sang a sang an old Johnny Mathis song. Had a decent voice. And usually, you know, you walk up on stage and the big thing is like, hi, my name is Darren Goldstein. Uh, I'll be doing two pieces today. Remember that whole spiel that you used to do like when you were a young actor? Yeah. I just got up there and I was like, all right, you want me to, you want me to start? Like there was so, there was such, I think that they kind of like were charmed by my knowing nothing about anything. Yeah. See this big guy kind of coming in, knowing none of the rules 
of like university theater that's supposed to be taken so seriously. And I just went up, did it. I, be, I got the street singer who sings Matt the Knife. And I did that and forget it, forget it. From that point on, it was like the fraternity was in my back rear view mirror. They were so supportive. They were sweet. They came to my shows, but I was full steam ahead with theater. And so do you, at that point when you're done, and obviously you start by singing Mac the Knife. So I think great roles came your way. Um, did you go decide like, okay, now I'm going to go to New York City and pursue this in earnest? Well, I knew I was terrible. I mean, I knew I would, didn't have, like, you just, I, I, I had the presence of mind to know that, like, I was not ready. But right. at the same time, you got to kind of, like, jump into the deep end. So what I did was I went back home to Long Island. I waited tables at TGI Fridays. I lived with my mom on Long Island. And three days a week, I would travel in at about 7 a.m. and take voice classes at the Actor Center. Remember that place? Did you ever Yeah, 28th Street. And I would go there and then on Saturday, there was a voice class and I'd take a voice class and maybe a speech class. And then on Saturdays, I took an acting class and I was around like real New York actors. And that was the best part of doing I was 21 years old and just, I remember being in that class and then being in Long Island, watching TV and seeing a Law and Order and someone was in Law and Order who was in my class, just like an extra. And I mean, as far as I was concerned, they were Tom Cruise. Yeah. I could not believe it. And that, that actor was, in fact, I'll tell you Tom who Cruise. exactly that was. I'll who tell was you it? exactly who, who that was. It? was. Do you know Lisa Benavides? Of course. That's who it was. I told her that once. I don't think it was quite as exciting to her as it was to me, but I told her that. And it, 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 years later, I saw her and she laughed at that. And that's who it was. She was in my acting class. Wow. It was an acting class with Earl Gister. Sure. So it said, um, it said in your bio, in the playbill, that you ended up getting an MFA yeah. at NYU. So, yeah. so after you go I, from the Actor Center. Yeah, but big, 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 there's a big pit stop in there, which is eight months at the Shakespeare Theater down in uh, Washington, D.C. as an intern, making $75 a week. This is in 1998, uh, $75 a week, learning how to be a professional actor. Mm -hmm. so kind of like, yeah, you're holding swords but you're learning what it is to be around lifers, you know, lifers in regional theater, mostly like what that is and what the kind of, how do you behave? And is that like you buy backstage and. Or, yes, that's or, exactly what it was. Yeah. was backstage. We're hiring interns to work for nine months and here's the lineup. And I was like, what? Michael Kahn directing King John and Joanne Acolytus directing Trojan women and Michael Kahn and, directing Merchant of Venice again with Hal Holbrook as Shylock. I was like, oh, get me in to like, oh, I don't care, 75 bucks a week. I can make that work. They give wow. you housing. Yeah. And 75 bucks a week. It was like nothing. I saved up money from waiting tables and I just went down there for, and it was amazing. So what was your first professional job? I mean, professional was King John with Ty Burrell. <laughs> the funniest man 
the funniest man in the world. And he's playing this like, and at the time he was, play, he was kind of almost on the track of being like a serious, like serious Shakespearean man. And then obviously we know where that went. I but, know, but if you think about it, I love him so much. And if you think about why everything he does is so funny and obviously i mean you could see him and burn this and you know people right. don't realize yeah. his theater chops but but i feel like that character on modern family is actually so shakespearean in how fully committed to oh. every and dramatic and sort of oh. histrionic in a way oh. not that shakespeare has to be histrionic but but like of course that's why and then he's just blessed with this innate comedic intuition that no one can learn you just either understand it deeply or you don't and and that makes so much sense to me that oh, that's yeah. his background oh yeah I mean he's he who he is now and when you see him on talk shows it's exactly who he was then he yeah. warm loving funny self-deprecating he's uh yeah we're still we're still good friends yeah. well he is the best his his episode is just one of my favorites oh, he did little no he did yeah, this? yeah oh yeah, yeah. i'm gonna go back and listen Great. and you know who he ended up who he ended up having come on with him is is bill rubel who you may have known you know bill rubel is one of the main writers of the show after you know the others and so to, and he wrote so much for ty and so it was interesting having sort of the person writing the text that came out of his mouth and sort of learn about that unbelievably symbiotic relationship anyway um you get back to new york uh and and you're in you know uh, your broadway debut is is well that's much later so i go to nyu yeah. for three years go for the go to that for three years and then get out of school and yeah can't get arrested really can't get arrested i mean for years can't get arrested you just think that you go into this kind of top tier graduate school you think or debt you're happened. going into this kind of debt uh, and you're going into <laughs> debt but you're like well it really doesn't matter because i'm gonna be on a tv show in a week you just have this kind of tunnel vision thing that you're going to that i you got you kind of got you have to have that sort of kind of, uh, kind of lookout to kind of make it through those three years but um yeah couldn't get arrested did a few commercials did some things here and then did some uh, off-Broadway things, but waited tables for a while. I didn't want to go out of town. I felt like I wanted to stay in New York and wait for a New York show to come. Yeah. So my first New York show was something small at the Rattlestick, and then I got a job at the New Group, uh, something. Uh, and that was my first, like, something that was going to, you know, uh, I don't know. That was kind of like a, uh, the next level thing for me. Well, you know, when when one looks at your resume, you see, like, you did a lot of things at the new group that that once you entered a community, people really loved you, loved your work, but loved working with you because that's such an important thing, like starting out to kind of be someone not just super talented, but that someone want to work with. Yeah, no, it's nice. It's nice. Whatever I was doing, uh, they were Scott Elliott love him and he brought me back to so many shows and he directed a bunch of them and I have a great relationship with him and uh yeah he was really good to me early on in my career well that Abigail's party that was Jennifer Jason Lee yeah yeah and that was did you see that uh, oh my god just completely tangentially when oh. I was in London um because Dominic was doing tape in, yeah. in London 
I ended up being introduced to these British producers and they were doing Abigail's party in London. And I went to see it and I thought, this is the most extraordinary play. How do I bring it to New York? Like I thought for a moment, I'm having so much success, you know, producing tape, my one play I ever produced. Um, Let me keep doing this. And then I, I immediately found out that, that it was already coming and it couldn't have been in better hands. And, and my desire to make sure America saw the play was, you know, handled by the new group. And, um, yeah, that was an extraordinary thing. And I think about like that play, I think about, you know, seeing Katie and Noises Off. I don't know, is that around the same time or are those like uh, years apart? Say, uh, that's they're about three or four years apart. I think Katie did it in like 2001 or two and I did uh, this in late 2005. Yeah, but yeah. just things I remember that were like so deeply funny and and just so good like such a time of great great new york theater so how did you and katie meet each other so okay so uh we met each other at williamstown we were doing beyond therapy uh christopher durang play came into the room i was taking over for an actor who had to leave (laughs) alana it was such madness because i had also never been on a I was also like, so you're telling me I'm going on stage with 10 days rehearsal with Katie fucking Finneran in a comedy? He's like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Not only are you going to be fine. Yeah, yeah I'm going to You're going to marry her. I'm going to marry her and have two babies. And have two babies. And you're going to be making dinner for all of them right. tonight. That's right. I mean, it was just fucking mad. It was such madness. It was, uh, and I didn't really really feel supported up there. I felt like there was a little bit, no one knew who I was. I did these off-Broadway credits. I didn't have yeah. credits. There's nothing sexy about my name in Beyond the, in Nikki Martin's first show. I mean, it's like, who's this guy playing Bruce next to Katie Finner? And it's like, yeah, he's good. I know, but obviously it, it worked. And all of those people in the audience who hear this and go, wait a minute, we watch two people fall in love on stage. Yeah. We were there. It was magical. I mean, Berkshires to the fucking Hamptons. What are you talking about? That I get to like hang out with this woman. And I was like, I get to be on stage with this beast of an actress. Like it was nonsense. It was, she was, uh, and she was so warm and she was so loving and so welcoming and so supportive. I mean, forget that we had this future i mean if we if she was she was incredible in every way and kate burton was great and daryl hammond and matt mcgrath bryce pinkham bryce pinkham oh had a tiny tiny role as the waiter that's what's so fun about you know just doing something for a long time and and you just never know right like you just never know like bryce pinkham you know yeah Sword carrier number 42. Exactly. He was Um, right out of Yale and then just. So, you know, in recent years, it's, well, let me just say to go back to sort of this idea of, you know, you did a play at the new group and then, you know, you were, you were a repeat offender there in terms of someone getting hired over and over again to be part of their productions. And then, you know, thinking about like, like right before uh, you and I got on to this recording, Cynthia texted me and I was like, oh my God, I'm about to uh, interview Darren, to which she said, 
um, oh my God, please say hi. Not only such an amazing actor, but like so incredibly versatile. Oh, um, that's sweet. Obviously, and of course, the nicest. Um, but, you know, I think about like people you've worked with who really want to work with you again, like you do the little foxes and, and maybe you would have gotten Ozark regardless of whether you had done the little foxes with Laura Linney. But well, back up a little, back up a little. I mean, I did, Cynthia directed me in, in Rashida. Rashida speaking. And yeah. that I think helped get foxes. Yeah. Cause right. Yeah. Right. And then we go to Ozark. So Cynthia is vouching for me for foxes. Then Laura's vouching for me for Ozark, which was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And now you're back, you know, with Cynthia on, yeah. on the Gilded Age yeah. and and yeah. um and your wife on that oh. show as well. Yeah. So how cool. So cool. I want to talk about the affair because that was a show that I loved. And suddenly you're on it and my friend Josh Stamberg on it as well. And sort of just seeing these people pop up beyond the four leads, I guess. Yeah. Um, was that your first kind of ongoing recurring role on a, on a popular TV show? 100%. Uh, that was, and just, it just goes to show you, that was an audition like every other fucking audition you go on. And this was the time before like self-tapes. Right, when you go they in a room. In and... Sarah Treem, the playwright, was there. And the director, Mark Mylott, was there. And I did it. And it was one of those, you know, yeah, you, you know, you have those auditions like once or twice a year in the old days where you go and the audition is just like, oh, that was pretty good. That like you walk out and you go, if I didn't get the role, I knew I did what I wanted to do. Like you have a few of those a year where you don't have like regrets and you're not kicking yourself for some asinine thing that you said or did. Yeah. And that this was one of those, which was like, oh, all right, that worked out. I took the adjustment. They seemed happy and I forgot about it. And then I, uh, and then it turns into this, she writes to me and says like, just want to let you know, this is good, I get it. And then Sarah writes to me, this is going to be a seven or eight episode thing. I mean, I was floored. It was like, what? I get to be on a show for this. Like, it's just like, you know, when, when stuff starts to crystallize and you kind of been, you know, wanting it for years and then you have that moment where it's like, oh, so this is, this is it. I mean, not this is it. This is like one of those things I've been kind of like- Hoping for. Hoping for. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's one of those shows that just really took off, right? Yeah. I mean, everything about it was just really- um, exciting for viewers and the yeah. structure of it and and these cool British actors and oh, yeah. you know these cool American actors oh shooting um, out Montauk oh, yeah beautiful best. beautiful best. um you know that also did sort of start off this idea of people seeing you it's just so funny to me because when I think of Darren like if I if someone would ask me to explain, you know, sort of what are the first words that come to mind, like sweetest, kindest, menchiest, human, um, warmest, um, funny. And the idea that suddenly you're being cast over and over again is like the heavy was really interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I get it, I guess. It's just, that's what I keep going, going to. Yeah. Fun to lean into that guy. I think it's the height. I think it's the voice. I think it's like just, you know, if I'm speaking from the outside, 
eh, just feel comfortable in that space, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ozark then becomes this, I mean, there are things in between, obviously, mm-hmm. but Ozark is a fun, like, I mean, it just took over, right? Like it, it hit because it was good. And then COVID happened and all we're doing is I mean, binging. That was, yeah, the way it went from, I mean, the first season, I remember watching it because it was right after I finished Little Foxes. And uh, I was like, you know, Katie and I watching it because we're watching it and Laura's on it. And I'm like, Jesus, this show, my God. And it was great. And then I get this call and they say, you know, Jason Bateman and Chris Mundy, who's the, their co-showrunners, they want to have a Skype with you about this. And I was just, again, here we go. Like another one of those, like, what? What? I'm sorry, what? Okay. Yeah, we can do that. And but also, by the way, just like Skype, Zoom, like all these things, when I think about it at the time, I probably had had two Skype meetings in my yeah. life. Yeah. And the idea now that like that's all. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's it. But this was before COVID. This was right. No, like, I know, but it would have been such a big deal. Yeah. Like whenever I had them, I was like, wait, how do I download that thing? And oh, it's the S. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, right. Like so foreign. So foreign. But but they had come to a uh, little foxes. So they had, I guess they had seen me uh do stuff. But that was it. They just we had a beautiful 20-minute meeting and uh and uh talk to Jason about silver spoons and you know the important things the important things and it was great and I got the offer the next day and that was a dream I mean getting directed by him I'll tell you something he is the greatest uh him as a director so can you talk about that like why Jason Bateman's direction absolutely tell me talk about it happy to talk about that he first of all I'll be acting with him and to to, to walk down into a show that you've been watching and all of a sudden to be on the set that you've been watching is an incredibly disorienting, surreal, magical feeling. And we had a scene at the beginning and, and he, he will break character sometimes during a scene and be the director. He he'll say like, I say a line like, listen, don't mess with me, pal. We're going to have a problem here. And he'll say like, as Marty, he'll stop and be like, you know what, Derek, do that again. But this time kind of a little less menacing, a little more charming. Here we go. And action. And <laughs> it's great. Great. I mean, some people might say like he broke scene, but like it was amazing. But even better is this. Laura and I had a scene in, uh, I think it was the second episode, and it's kind of like a, it's almost like a weird seduction scene. I'm trying to seduce her in a way. You're in your house? No, we're not. We're in my office. In your office, and okay. And it's really dark, and we're kind yeah. of like, we're, we're talking about like quid pro quos or something like that. And Jason looks at the scene, and we read it through. He's like, you know what? We need to kind of, I want to rejigger this a little bit. Um crew we're going to take the set for about for a little while we need to rehearse this and do stuff for an hour we just sat there we kind of wrote our own lines some of them 
you know, we st st stuck to the structure and stuck to many of the lines, but he's like, just say what, say what feels right in this moment. Say what they, and for an hour, we just rehearsed. Do you know how infrequent that, you know, of course, you know, how, what that's, that never happens in TV. It's like, you have a few things. Yeah, that's working. That's for, all right, let's, and we'll shoot it and we'll rehearse it as it, no, no, no. We rehearsed for an hour like it was a scene study class. Yeah, I mean, you're doing a play. You're doing so a play. Yeah. Was that generally sort of the the way the work happened? That that everything needed to really feel authentic. And this was and a it, well. This was a we, this needed to be kind of. This was a scene that really needed to be kind of like shaped a little bit. Shaped, and we painstakingly yeah. kind of like got to the nitty-gritty of it so no not every scene is done and even when scenes are not perfect everyone knows we got to get on with the day and yeah. so you can't do that however I, I'm kind of mentioning this also to kind of point out his general ethos and his he's so um he's a he's a very he's a moment-to-moment -moment director mm -hmm. and he's got great skill with the camera but he's also incredibly um just he knows how to direct actors and he's uh He's a, he loves actors. Yeah. I actually started because I love Laura so much and, and was so excited by her taking on something. So, I mean, talk about versatile, mm -hmm. right? Like so other. And I remember when it first came on, I watched the first episode and I was like, this is incredible. And this is way too violent for me. Like, yeah. I just thought, oh, I can't, this is not a ride. I don't know how to go on this ride. Mm -hmm. I think Dominic was away working and I was watching it by myself and it was like, and then the way the first episode ends with, you know, what happens to Laura's affair, yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy, unbelievable. Um, that show, and then just all of the violence and all of the torture and all of the ways in which, and then obviously the psychological torture that came along with it, just what... Um, why do you think, and then I got totally addicted. Then I went back and, and, and binged. How many seasons of Ozark was there? Five? It, it, the last season was like a long season. So they called it like, it was four. But the and last then the extras. 14. Right. Episodes. I yeah. watched four seasons in probably one day. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you know you just I mean? like, recently watched it? During, not recently. During, during, you know, during lockdown. And oh, okay. And yeah. then, and then the idea that I had to wait for those few more episodes yeah. that hadn't come out yet was yes. literally like waiting to hear, you know, if, I know. if I, I don't know, got the apartment or not. Like it was totally. the craziest, craziest thing. I want to talk about like, why do you think, what is, what did that show tap into aside from everyone being amazing in their parts, as my mother would say, because everyone was so brilliant in their parts. What is it about this family and then and then Julia Garner and her family like what why did we go on this ride so deeply gosh I don't know like I have no idea what certain shows what this one I, I'm at a loss I mean it was so it was so intense and so exciting and maybe that this family was dipping into this whole other world, but it was just well told. And I think they were like, yeah, 
this is going to happen. And guess what? When you think this might not happen, then this is going to happen. And you, you think that some people would pull back and get more. No, we're going to keep going and going and going. And you're just like, oh, it's just relentless. And it's exciting. Everyone loves the drug shows and the law, the crime shows. But but this was more like that's this was, was so it was. much more I don't than know. that. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. I, I, I know. know. I mean, we're obsessed with true crime now, right? Like there's all of this um, culturally. But I think seeing Laura Linney like be um, just working on this level of once once she agrees to the premise of her family's life now, once once she once she's in the way she goes in, um, it was really one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And well, in Laura's hands, it's like- yeah, I mean, that's the character. That, yeah. that, that's, that's, for me, that character was the most interesting character because, you know, at the beginning, she fancies herself this like ethical, like, you know, ethical person. And just by the end, she's a, she's a monster. Yeah. And then you kind of, and just the idea of seeing where her character, I mean, I could talk about Ozark the whole time and I won't, but, but also sort of who her child, what happened in her childhood and sort of how that gets revealed. And then yeah. you understand more all of it. Um, it looked like you were having a really good time on that show. Such a good time. We shot in Atlanta. Um, Atlanta for the Ozarks. I know. Lake Lanier. Yeah. Got to drive really fancy boats, <clears throat> which was great. Do you like playing? I mean, was that fun playing a really, really rich person? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Here's a funny story. Here's a funny story. Yeah, I had played a really, this guy was like religious. I don't know if you remember. I mean, I he do. himself like always wore that cross. I'm a Jew from Long Island. So on the first day, they're like, listen, do me a favor. Uh, Jason was like, listen, cross yourself at the end of this scene. I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know, you're supposed to just say, yeah, you know how they're doing. And then I'm doing it. I'm like, I fucking, what pan do you use? I, Did you YouTube it? Are you like, <laughs> I think, you know what it was? I ended up doing the right hand, but I think a few people like had to correct me. I was doing the cross. Just, I just didn't look natural Yeah, doing it. You know, it's such a, for people who've been doing that their whole life, it's such a second nature thing. But for me, it was probably like worked out. I was probably like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, totally. When you talk to me a little bit about like how you work, how do you work? What is the thing? Is it different for the bedwetter than it is Ozark? Obviously, time is different in terms of how much time you have in a play versus a TV show. But like, what does Darren Goldstein need under the best circumstances to like do his best work? Time to prepare. So in TV, I liked, you know, it's great to have the lines and it's like the, I, I think never, never not knowing what you're doing in a given moment never just saying a line, you know exactly why you're there, what you're doing, what you're trying to do. And then, gosh, I mean, having those lines, uh, you know, it's when you can get the lines and make them your own, you know, if you get the lines two weeks in advance and by the time you get on set, 
they're completely there. You get to do work because you know TV. It's it's like it's like seventy five percent relaxation, right? I mean, it's if you can get to where you're not scared of that big black box that's right in front of your face, you're going to be allowed to just be a vessel and just kind of. But you need time to prepare and know what you're doing. So I need to know the line. Like, if you know the lines well, you yeah, know them better. Know them. <laughs> better right when you learn the lines and then you get on set you're like oh my god right there went my line you're like where are they they were there this morning in the shower anyone have sides can somebody hand me sides yeah what are you talking about and yeah so that's pretty much it that's that's and then just i don't know there's no like one process um i don't i can't speak to it i'm not too articulate with process it's instinctual instinctual and prepared and doing the work and 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 following the steps of like does this line lead to the next line does it lead to the next line and does it, and if it ever kind of goes huh i have no problem walking up to a writer listen can i talk to you about this i can't find i can't find my leap from this line to this line i don't understand the thought process from this line to this line can we clarify right. Even right. this word, this word is, is is tripping me up a little. And I'll tell you, in my experience, 19 times out of 20, the writer is like, yeah, I can change it. Don't right. do it. They're, right. They're not so precious. No. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. yeah. All. all right. Before I let you go, is there a little known fact about Sir Darren Goldstein that you can share with my listeners? I think, I thought you were going to ask this. And, and I was like, you know what? From, from 1995 to 2010, there wasn't a year I didn't wait tables. That's just a little like, oh shit. There's like, that's a lot, the big part of this life, you know, having, you know, those other jobs, I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of support myself now, but man, don't get down when you're, you're like, I've been waiting tables or. I've been working in an office for so many years. It's like, it's like <laughs> we all did it, you know. I am such a fan. I'm such a true, true fan of yours. I just look forward to seeing you every time I get a chance to see you on stage, when I see you on my TV, when I hear of all these films coming up. It's just really exciting it's just an exciting time for Darren Goldstein. And thank you for sharing your time today on the podcast. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Alana. It's been great. Last night I saw a play at the Atlantic Theater Company in New York City called I'm Revolting. If I told you what it was literally about, the fact that it is a play written by Gracie Gardner that deals with people waiting to find out skin cancer results in a waiting room in a skin cancer healthcare center, uh, it would in no way actually tell you what the play is about because what the play is really about is relationships to each other, ourselves, the healthcare system, particularly in America, how we listen to our bodies, how we listen to each other, how we help each other, 
what it is to be faced with a really tough decision and who do we turn to to make those decisions. And if I told you that within the framework of this very deep play that asks really big questions, there are huge laughs, well, that's what happens when you see I'm revolting. The Atlantic Theater is always putting on these cutting edge plays that make you think about things in such a new and different way. And I'm Revolting is no exception. The cast is incredible. The direction, the set is really extraordinary. And the pacing is so fast and furious. It's 90 minutes without an intermission. And it packs so much about the world, about ourselves, about the medical system, about relationships, about love, and about taking care of ourselves and each other. Go see I'm Revolting at the Atlantic Theatre Company. For tickets, go to atlantictheater.org. One more thing. I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.